What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are going to be rounding out our uh, lost interviews, almost lost interviews, this week. Um, That's going to be this episode, and maybe something else a little bit special on my birthday. We shall see. But for this episode, I have two more interviews. An interview between myself and Dave Moody, uh, horror zombie writer, uh, author of the Autumn uh, Zombie series and the Hater series. Really big fan of the Hater series. Excellent books. Uh, highly recommend you go check those out. That's then followed by an interview with uh, Lisa Kroger. Lisa Kroger uh, contributed to uh, lots of things out and about, but two things. She has a podcast uh, which she mentions in the interview, but also she's written a book about those female voices that came through in the weird fiction and horror genre in the early 20th century. Those ones that actually started to wreak a real influence. Uh, and if you are interested in that kind of thing, in the weird fiction or the history of uh, horror pop culture, well worth checking out. But I'm not going to mess around much longer. Here are the interviews. I'm going to hand over to me and Dave. So basically, it's going to be it's okay. So the first one, the first area is, is uh, I've just called it, Evolution and acceptance of horror as a mainstream genre. So really, David, the, the first question is, do you think horror has become more accepted uh, as a mainstream genre? Oh, I, I absolutely do. And um, it's really surprising for me because I, I grew up, I show my age now, I grew up in the, the 1980s. Um, that's when my love of horror kind of really, really came into its own. And um, back then, I think that, that part of the attraction for, for liking horror was the fact that you just couldn't get any. Mm. So we had the video nasties thing going on where uh, the, the conservative government decided that all this stuff that people were watching that was imported, all these trashy Italian and American films, they were rotting people's brains. So we had to, they were, they were all banned under the, was it the Obscene Publications Act, I think. So you just couldn't get anything. And the closest we could get to horror was kind of sneaking back downstairs after mum and dad had gone to bed and watching the, the Hammer Double Bill on a Saturday night on BBC Two. Um, so it, it's bizarre now to think how how mainstream Walking Dead is and, and, and things like that. You know, it's just it, it, it's just normal now. And I find that, that really bizarre. It's a bizarre contrast, and I guess, to, to a lot of people who, who have grown up over the last 20 years. That's it's, it's, it's hard to believe that it was ever any different. But for me, as I say, as a, as a child of the 80s, um, it, it, it's just totally bizarre now to look at the, the, the stand of what we've got, look at the, the absolute the, the horror of what we've got and compare and contrast. In fact, some of the stuff that's on TV at nine o'clock of, at night now with the stuff that was banned back in the 80s, I think it's it's astonishing. It, so, so, yeah, my answer would be it, it has become very much accepted. But one thing that I always say when, when, when I start having conversations about genre, I still find it really hard to classify horror as a genre because to, to me it's more it's more an emotion I sound really pretentious here so I apologize but I think it's it's not it, if somebody says to you I'm going to make a western or I'm going to write a western then you know kind of the, the key elements that that's going to include there's going to be 
be cowboys, there's going to be sheriffs, there's going to be shootouts in the in the uh, outside the OK Corral or whatever. But when you talk about horror, I think it's just such a wide-ranging label. Um, and, and I think about some of the things that, that... I mean, Game of Thrones, my wife and I, we're very late to the party, but we're sitting and watching Game of Thrones, and we're watching the last couple of seasons now. And you've got tens of thousands of zombies being bitten and being um, attacking, and there's blood and there's axes, and, and that's to me that that's horrific. I love it, but that's horrific, and and it's and it's bizarre to think that this is this is mainstream stuff that parents feed their kids these days. Do, does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah, I totally get it. Um, like you say, especially sort of the whole sort of thing of it, almost like it's sneaking in to uh, you know. I'll ask one of the questions there, but it's almost like I say, it's almost like it's snuck into other things, doesn't it? And the people are like, yeah. oh, it's, it's there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and and I think that's not without reason, because uh, I may be preempting other questions, so I apologise if I am, but I think it is just such a good uh, way of, of commenting on society and, and commenting on the times. I think, for me, it's a way of looking at the absolute worst-case scenario. And I, I remember doing a panel at a convention many years ago, and... and uh, just going on this ridiculous rant about how I just wish people would stop decrying horror authors as these bizarre people who make up these horrible stories and start actually listening to them because what all, all certainly what I try and do in my books is say watch out because if we go down this route this is going to happen you know that I think it's kind of a prophetic well I think I straddle the line between prophetic and pathetic I don't know <laughs> no I definitely mean I think I think you could definitely sort of see you know, like you said, the idea of horror representing something, you know, that, that potential, the dark side of what could be, um, especially that sort of post-apocalyptic stuff or that side of the human the human horror. Um, yeah. Okay, so next question is sort of, you know, you, so you acknowledge that, that it's definitely become more accepted, it's definitely more a part of the mainstream, but do you think that it's society, the genre, or both that has actually changed, in for, you know, whilst that has happened? Um, I think predominantly I would say it's society that's changed and I think that the, the genre of work just just reflects those changes. It's difficult to say really. I remember this this is this might sound completely random, but again, going back to my youth. But if we're gonna be talking about how things have changed, I'm gonna to have to refer to my youth quite a bit, I'm afraid. But I, I remember when Channel Four started, so nineteen eighty two, whatever it was, um and my little brother and I were just innocently watching some programme and it was a comedy program and somebody said the F word and we just, what, what did somebody just said the F word on TV and you fast forward now to uh, frighteningly almost 40 years later and people are F and Jeff in all over the place. I think we almost, when it comes to shocking each other with it, when it comes to, um, yeah, shock tactics, I guess you've always got to go one step higher. So I think that as, as society has changed, maybe the genre's always having to kind of outdo itself or outgross itself or outscare itself or out-offend out itself. It's strange. And I think now that we're, we're kind of getting to the point where I, I, I always feel like I'm walking on thin ice talking about this when we, 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 we get into the, the, thing, the, the stage where people are too scared to say anything to te- because people will take offence. So we may be going full circle, but certainly I think... Um, Yes, is it standards? Is it oh, I don't know expectations, but people people have changed, I think, uh, and and yeah, um, the, the genre has reflected that. Mm. No, it's interesting. To see, it's almost like you say what people have been willing to let into their home. I mean, um, I mean to give an example, 
you know, um, it's funny that Psycho in 1960, one of the things of note about that film is it's the first film to feature a flushing toilet. <laughs> like, that was a big what, thing. What a random fact, but yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay, so really, that's what you from your perspective, then, what what has had the biggest impact on the changing face of genre acceptance? Um, I'd have to say, if I was picking one specific thing, it, it would have to be the internet, because I think since since the internet has been widespread and got its claws into everywhere and everybody, I think that the acceleration of um, the way that stands, the way that society has changed, has just been it's been it's been incredible. It's been incredibly rapid. I think. Because suddenly we've we've got um, you've got in in everybody's house in everybody's pocket there's a key to everything you know you type the type whatever you want into Google and you'll get a response so I think again going back to what I was talking about earlier my my early days with the video nasties and and it 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 was kind of the starvation uh, of people there you you couldn't get this stuff and now we've got the opposite we've got we've got everything everything you could want to watch you can find online or you could read about online i think it's just a, it's a stark contrast and i think undoubtedly that that availability of ideas and just films books everything has has really accelerated things over the last i don't know how long it's been now 20 years and I think that's had a massive impact on genre acceptance. One of the things I was curious about, about saying that, about the internet, and especially it's been the everyone's phone, one of the things I do a lot is, you know, you've, you've got, like, the news headlines that you're disposed all the time, and, and since the internet around, you know, obviously there's become, like, the 24-hour news cycle, and yeah. you know, the news has become more horrific, is you know, in many cases more, you know, entertainment, but you get to see some horrific things on the news, especially with some of the wars and stuff that's going on around the world. Do yeah. you feel that sort of um, entertainment feels that it sort of, or maybe I'll put words in your mouth, but do you feel that entertainment has to outstrip live, real events in order to sort of stay um, relevant or yeah. horrific or, you know, that sort of thing? I, th- I think there has to be an element of that, or there seems to be an element of that. I don't know whether it's an intentional thing, but yeah, I think we we. I think wherever the initial shock comes from, whether it's something you see on the news, whether it's a film you watch, a book you read, I think that we'll always be striving for the next big hit after that. So I think, sadly, it's all part and parcel. And that's another, I guess, interesting and frightening aspect of the internet is the fact that the line between fact and fiction gets blurred. And we've we've heard endless talk about fake news and we hear endless talk about the BBC not reporting on this political party and over-egging this political party and... And to, to me, I think more frightening now than what we see in the media is kind of the subtext of it, what we're not seeing, what we're not hearing. Mm. I think you kind of you kind of knew where you stood with four TV channels and the radio. Yeah, just trusted the BBC World News and that was it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and do you know what? That's bizarrely that's quite a frightening thought. We can no longer trust the BBC, and that's 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 quite a statement. Yeah, well, coming coming from an old man, that's quite a statement. Yeah. Well, no, I think one of the weird things that sort of, for me, um, you know, more and more so is, you know, if you use, I've got like an iPhone or whatever, and you sort of look at the the news app on that, you will see contradicting, like openly contradicting news stories or news facts coming from two different news networks, but sat yeah. right next to each other. And you're sort of like, well, yeah. you know. Uh, absolutely. Both, both probably being accepted by as large an audience. Yeah. 
yeah, we seem to have, have we've lost something somewhere along the way here. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but um, yeah, I think it's it, it, it's quite a dangerous path. It's like um, I, I always think back to 1984 because I think we're we're closer to Orwell's vision than than you would think. Mm. But we kind of it's kind of got a, a nice sheen. So instead of the um, like war-torn airstrip one from from 1984 that Winston Smith had to pick his way through. You know, we've got Love Island and stuff like that. It seems like the opposite extreme, but we're we're manipulated in exactly the same way. And I mean, Winston Smith's job in 1984 was, as you probably know, was to was to correct old issues of the times mm-hmm. and to and and to to reflect the thinking of uh, of today. And I'm I'm certainly not trying to. Ex- Excuse this random way around this, but I'm certainly not trying to trying to excuse the behaviour of some TV celebrities from the past. But you look at people like Jimmy Savile, and the way that he's been correctly erased from the public conscious because of what he did, and that's in some ways that's not a million miles away from what um, the Ingsoc, the party, was doing in 1984. Yeah, it is interesting. It's, uh... The more information we've had, I saw this, the more information we seem to have, the more malleable history seems to have become. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, you know, it's that idea of like, well, this person can stay relevant and that person can't, and you know, we don't mention that, and this person yeah. now becomes more prominent. You know, that sort of thing. It's yeah, it is. It's interesting how, you know, um, history yeah. and facts are now being written. That's a really good point. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, next point there is representing social fears and concerns. We sort of, we sort of covered it a bit, but so does genre yeah. fiction act as a catharsis and mirror for social fears? Um, definitely a mirror, I think. Um, yeah, I, I know that everything that that I've written has been informed by maybe maybe not just society, but where I am. I know. Um, I personally went through a dodgy patch a few years ago and I look back at the books that I wrote during that time and I'm thinking, well, that, that, that's very dark. I think you can't help but be influenced by what's happening around you. But on a on a, a broader stage as well, I think uh, you know, my, my horror subgenre of choice is, is zombies. Mm. And I think that that's... That, it's an absolutely that they're an absolutely ideal one for reflecting society because they're so malleable. You can put them into so many situations, and if you look back at the history of, of uh, zombie films, and uh, you know the point, I know there was a lot before, but we, we kind of start usually with Night of the Living Dead, and you know, George Romero was saying so much at the time, and then fast forward to Dawn of the Dead, and he's talking about consumerism, and, and it just goes on. I think that yeah, there's no question that it's a. Uh, it, it's a very good way of holding up a mirror to society, I think. And as I said earlier, also looking at the extremes and thinking, well, this is where we could go. This is what the natural progression would be. What, what scares me, kind of tipping this question on its head, um, okay, I'm very conscious, I keep saying what scares me. I sound like I'm an absolute paranoid sitting here, sitting here, sitting here in a tinfoil hat, that kind of thing. But what what is beginning to worry me then, I'll put it slightly differently, is that even though we we have these films and books that kind of predict a grim future, we still seem to want to be content to sleepwalk into it. I mean, how many different stories have we had? Terminator is the obvious one about um, artificial intelligence and what Mm. that could do and the impact of that. And yet we blindly carry on. It's just, I think, I think people still dismiss genre work as kind of a, a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke. But I think there are some serious messages in there. 
it's just it's it's harder for them to have credence because we're looking forward rather than looking back at what people did do if that makes sense yeah it's interesting because you mentioned sort of like you know night of the living dead and dawn of the dead i mean dawn in particular you know, and that the idea of, of of zombies representing commercial, the impact of commercialism and everything. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I've read numerous articles and essays of people saying, you know, this is what um, Romero meant, and this is what he wanted to present, and and this is what people thought of it at the time. And you sort of see these people, and they go, oh yeah, no, they're decrying like the shopping mall and commercialism. Yet, yet n- nothing changed. And then, yeah. you know, more recently, I think of like Get Out. Um, yes, and uh, you know people are like, well, yes, there's clearly you know an issue of racism in in America and also other stuff in, in other places across you know uh, the world, and everyone sort of nods their head and goes, yeah, yeah, there is. It's a real mirror up to society, and then carries on with their daily life like it's yeah. sort of, it's, it's as you were, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Then they'll go back and watch Love Island. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's bizarre. Uh, uh, the word that keeps coming into my, uh, my mind, I've already used it, is sleepwalking. It just seems that the whole of society, I think we're, uh, probably get crazy if I've saying this, but I think we are we are dumbing down to such a ridiculous extent. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film uh, Edi- Idiocracy. Yes. By, yeah, by Mike, Mike Judge, I think the guy that created mm-hmm. Beavis and Butthead. That is, is perhaps the most terrifying film I've ever seen. And, and I know it's a ridiculous outrageous comedy but some of the ideas some of the seeds that he plants in that film are, are quite terrifying and when you look back now 10 i'm not sure when it was made but 10 15 years maybe after it was made and and, it, and it's frightening how accurate it's becoming yeah uh, there's, there's a similar a book i really enjoy called incompetence by uh, right. rob, by rob grant um All right. and uh, it's really really good it's set in the future and um, not, not yeah a not too distant future uh, in which you can't be fired from your job for incompetence because it's considered an insult. So, <laughs> so you basically got all these people that are really bad at their job, and the story is following a murder mystery. But this guy can't solve it because he's the only competent person, but he can't solve it because everybody else around him is incompetent. Um, I've gone a little bit cold here because I, I've got a day job as well, which I, I, I enjoy doing. It gives me loads of inspiration for horror fiction. It really does. But <laughs> I, d- I don't think we're a million miles away from that. No. I, I, I've had a member of my team who's 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 lied to me, who's been drunk, who has been, um, you know, we've, we've gone down all the official procedures to kick them out, and then I, I get on the phone to HR saying, right, so this is what I'm going to do. He's going to be gone. Oh, are you sure? We've really got to give him one more chance. Yeah. Really, and it, it's just incredible. I think maybe that's we, we're just maybe too afraid to to be a. F- and that maybe too, too afraid to, to say the things that we need to say now because everybody's kind of pussyfooting around and, and thinking about what's the right thing to do, what should I do, what shouldn't I do. I don't want to offend this person, don't want to upset this person who's blindly taken the pee out of me for the last six months. It's crazy. It is. It's, it's, Sorry, it's, no, no, Sorry no, a bit of a rant there. No, no, but it's, yes, it's, it's all good, it's all good. It's, it's true. It's, there's so much stuff that sort of people are now more worried about saying and doing things than ever before, really, I think. And uh, Yeah. Um, it's... it's <laughs> I uh, um, just offhandly mentioned that uh, I really enjoyed uh, the film Moana, uh, the Disney Pixar film. My daughter really likes it. And I'm quite a big yeah. fan of it. I thought it was a really good film. And someone uh, who I work with just roundly declared, it's horrendous, it's a terrible film because of cultural uh, appropriation. And, yeah. I was, and he was like, so I've never watched it. And I'm like, if you haven't watched it and you know well, nothing about you know? it, how can you state that? Yeah. You're willing to decry me, you know, shout me down, but you've never seen it. <laughs> Yeah. Bizarre. 
I mean, a, a very lowbrow low kind of inversion of that. I'm a, a big fan of uh, Vic Riggs and Bob Mortimer. Mm. And I was just watching some of their old stuff uh, recently. One of their very early TV series from the start of the 90s, I don't know if you remember, had uh, Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye sitting on the dock of the bay watching the ships going in and coming out. Yeah. And, 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 and they're there in blackface, and it's hilarious. <laughs> but now you think, whoa, hold on a minute. Yeah. It, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not commenting on whether that is right or wrong. I just think it's interesting that how, as a society, we've changed. Yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? It's sort of uh, everyone's a bit too nervous about it all now. But uh, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, that was all comes to the next one actually. So the next part sort of had is representation in genre fiction. So, <clears throat> and this obviously covers all kinds of, of uh, genre fiction. But so, do you think, or have you got any comment on? Uh, genre fiction being at the forefront of representation in fiction. Well, do you know, carrying on from the theme of what we were just talking about, I, I feel quite nervous answering any any question on this. To be honest, <laughs> I, I don't I don't feel qualified because I don't I don't think I read enough uh, fiction to 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 be able to comment really on this. But one thing that that struck me over the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you saw, but Stephen King tweeted something mm. about the. Um, he, he tweeted, I think it was he on the, the the judging panel for one of the the Oscars for best script or something like that, and he just said that uh, what matters to him most of all. I'm completely paraphrasing here. What matters to him is quality, irrespective of who of who wrote it. And there was a huge backlash, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm I'm trying to sit on the fence here and be diplomatic, just just not to offend one party or the other. But I kind of agree with Stephen King in because. I, I, I'm irrespective of who produced something, I want a good story. I want a good film, mm. and I know it's not as clear. I know it's not as clear cut as that, and maybe I'm simplifying things a little bit. But, but again, I think that kind of illustrates how how frightened we are to to say what we really think these days, isn't it? It's uh, we we kind of we're in danger, I think, of tying ourselves up in in knots with um, not not wanting to offend people. And, and let's go back to. A lot of the the most successful horror from from back in the day is designed to offend. We need mm-hmm. to be able to offend. I think, as long as it's not wanton, and it's maybe not not as long as it's not personal and directed at individuals, then offence is 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 important. I think. No, I agree well, with that. If, if, if we don't have that kind of thing, then we end up. Are we striving to get towards some kind of utopia? And you watch any utopian. Um, film, a science fiction film, you know, Logan's Run is the one that just popped into my head, and a utopia is always just a dystopia waiting to happen, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's, I suppose that sort of goes on to the next question, which is, can genre fiction be used to subvert social norms? And that's really, you know, I think I think Logan's Run actually is quite a good example of that, isn't it? That idea of, uh, yeah. you know, um, you die at 30. I mean, the book, in the original novel, I think it's 21. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it, it it definitely can. I think it, as I said earlier, I think it's a it's a mirror really. Um, genre fiction. It, we, we should be saying, look, this this is what could happen. This is what would happen. Or take take this to the extreme. And that's certainly what I like to do in my books. Here, here's an idea. Here's a situation we're in there. Let's take that to the the nth degree. Hmm. I mean, my my, my um, hater series. That that's really where where it all came from the idea of those books is that um it's un, if you want to put it in its most simplistic terms it's, it's the human race splits down the middle and one half can't live with the other half so it has to wipe it out 
but really where the where the genesis of that idea came from was that i was looking at all the divisions that we use all the all the ways that we split each other ourselves up from everybody else like hair color religious belief intelligence uh, wealth mm. whatever and i just thought well what would happen if something new came in that wiped all of those out that negated all of those and just gave us this brand new divide so I think, yeah, I think genre fiction is in a really uh, unique place to be able to, to to comment on things like that because we're not bound when we're writing and reading this stuff. We're not bound by what has actually happened. We're bound, we're, the only limit, and this sounds really corny, is your imagination. So you can really take it to the extremes. So, yeah, I, I think... Uh, yeah, I think it's it's unfortunately decried a lot of the time. And, and, and as I said earlier, I think it's um, it's dismissed because it's got spaceships in it, because it's got monsters in it. But genre fiction does have a lot to say. Brilliant. Okay, so last section we've got then. Um, so genre fiction from childhood to adult a bit. But it's, uh, what introduced you to genre fiction? I think it's probably quite a, a cliched answer, but I think fairy tales was it was the, the, the first thing I can remember. I remember re- reading or being read stories and thinking that's creepy as hell. I'm scared and and. And I kind of, maybe, maybe I'm just weird, but I kind of loved the feeling of being scared and grew up with that. But I think, um, going back to what we were talking about a second ago with, with um, genre fiction, genre fiction re- reflected the, the uh, society at the time. I, f- I found then that as I matured, getting into things like Dale Triffids was a key one for me and War of the Worlds. They were really eye-opening books because they, they just presented this completely different version of the world that we live in where we were out of control. I think you, you, you grow up, don't you, thinking that your parents or whoever's bringing you up, that they're the font of all knowledge, that they're the oracles, that they're the ones who are going to sort you out at any time. But then I think genre fiction, it, it talks about well, what if they're not there? What happens then? What if something terrible happens? And I just think it's it, it's good to confront those fears and it's good for, for kids to confront those fears. So I really enjoyed scaring my kids, by the way. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's got to be done. Um, but yeah, oh, sorry, I think, I think I'm probably leading on to... No, that, I was going to say, that goes into the next question really well. So, so do you think it is important then to introduce children to horror and sci-fi ideas? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. Um I, I, I may be a bit a bit weird, but I've always loved when you wake up from an absolutely terrifying nightmare and just have that that cold relief that oh, it was just a dream, everything's okay, and and I think I think it's yeah, I think it's important. I think if we if we wrap kids up in bubble wrap and don't let them experience this kind of thing, would they learn? I know that some of the things that I've done in the past that I'd be terrified if my kids did. You know, again growing up a few years ago when things were very different and we didn't have the internet and in the school holidays the summer holidays it was just get on your bike go out come back when it's dark mm. and some of the things we did some of the things we saw some, and it's all part of growing isn't it and I think we're in danger now um, of mollycoddling the young and, and not letting them experience these things and it's often things going wrong that teach you what's right that sounds really Wanky. Sorry. No, that's no, good. No, I get that. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. Excellent. Um, so that's sort of all the points I've got. I, I sort of like it. That, that's really good. And we're running to about half an hour. But I mean, is there any final thoughts you've got around that? Around this idea of sort of um, genre, like storytelling, and and um, any other sort of like theories or sort of like 
concepts you've always sort of like harbored or you you know you thought that about the about the genre well, that's that's a very broad question. I don't, uh, I'm yeah. <laughs> struggling to think of an answer that I haven't already touched on. But I do think that the the key point for me is that, and I, and I have already mentioned it. I find it frustrating that I think our genre, horror, science fiction, genre, genre fiction as a whole, is kind of still decried, even though we've got that mainstream acceptance now. I think we people still do look down their their noses at us. And I've lost count the number of times that I've been at book events when uh, I've been talking, I think thinking more, not genre specific events, but if I've been to like publisher events and, and people will, will have literally been there having really quite in-depth conversations. And then they say, oh, what do you write? Oh, I write horror. I'll see you then. And they kind of just walk away. We are, we are sneered at, but I think that it's as relevant as right and it's only one person's opinion i guess but it's as relevant as as somebody writing about what happened in world war Two is somebody else writing about what they think might happen in world war three you know so I, I i'd just like to see that being accepted a little bit more yeah excellent i, I agree with that i mean there's uh, many times in sort of like you talk to people and they do the girls, so, you know. They'll they'll happily talk about, as you said, sort of like Game of Thrones or Watchmen or yeah, um, you know, even like mostly like the Witcher series on Netflix. Like they'll go, oh yeah, I watched that, I saw it. And then you go, all oh, right, have you read Lord of the Rings? Oh, I don't read that kind of stuff. And you're like, absolutely. What do you mean? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Excellent. Well, thank you for all that. Um. So. The final thing is really because I'm I'm going to be working on this because I've got a quite I'm going to try and get a few quite a few interviews all together um is, yeah. it, is it so obviously i'll be putting like um what i will refer to as my cheap pop uh section at the end which will be sort of like uh promoting uh, anything and everything so have you got anything coming up in 2020 that you'd want to uh is it this, this will probably come out uh, early summer i think i'll be aiming for this okay um okay so so the uh the the big thing that i'm the couple of things that i'm working on this year i'm working with uh, two American authors, Mark Tufo and Chris Philbrook, and we're writing a book series called The Bleed, which is uh, a kind of all-encompassing multi-book um, end of the world, end of many worlds um, apocalypse, so that you've got fantasy, you've got horror, you've got science fiction, everything wrapped in there. So um, the first book should be out uh, first half of the year, and then hopefully the next two pretty soon after that. And then the other thing that I'd like to plug, providing I get my finger out and write it, is I'm I'm, I'm returning to my autumn series. So they're the books that, that really kick-started things for me. And and it's interesting because it kind of ties in with what we were talking about in a way, in that I wrote the first autumn book in 2000 and 2001, I think. And back then, n- nobody was interested in, in zombies. And I just happened to catch the wave that 28 Days Later started and and, and suddenly everybody was into zombies. So the, the upshot of that is that my original zombie novels, all the characters act like they don't know what a zombie is. Mm. And that worked back then, but to, in these days, uh, it's very different because everybody's seen The Walking Dead, everybody's read the books, everybody's seen the films. So I'm going back and just writing a completely unconnected trilogy of books set in the same autumn universe book with kind of 21st century thinking behind it. So there's an internet so people know what zombies are and kind of know how they think they should deal with them so i think it'll be that'll be quite interesting and hopefully the first book will be coming out 
in October. Oh, excellent. Right in right the perfect time. Excellent, yes, indeed. Could almost have been planned. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you for that, David. I really appreciate that. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there we have the interview with Dave Moody. What a guy. I really enjoyed speaking with Dave back in the day. And I'm sure I'll have him back on at some point in the future. But check the notes to the show and go find his page on Amazon or wherever. Go Google him and check out his books. Uh, the Hater series in particular is a favourite of mine. Anyway, let's jump on. So the next interview is with me and Lisa Kroger. Do you think that horror has become... Uh, accepted as a mainstream genre yeah you know i really do think that horror has been accepted more into the mainstream because when i think about you know i grew up in the 80s and 90s and horror at least how i saw it presented to me like when i would go into a blockbuster to rent a movie horror was pretty much just slasher movies it was freddie and jason and all of these um big kind of wieldy unspeaking monsters that ran around with all sorts of sharp objects (laughs) to kill people. And I think that's what I at least, and probably a lot of people associated with horror. And now when you look at what we have in the horror genre, it is so, it has pushed so far beyond that. And so I think, especially with people you know, you have like Jordan Peele doing more of the like political thrillers. You have um, you have women's voices being represented. You have just all kinds of different types of horror. So I do think it's being accepted into the mainstream more. And I hope that over the next few years, we even start to see it where it's winning more awards in those kind of mainstream award shows. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's being accepted more in the mainstream cool yeah i definitely agree with that about the awards i mean this even you know recently there's been films and and, and several of those films have had performances in that you know i mean i, I think i'd have seen it sort of um tony collette in hereditary puts herself through absolute hell um, <laughs> absolutely and you sort of think you know that's an amazingly strong performance and everyone's just sort of like yeah but it's in a horror film it's like no but it's so much more than that um Okay, well, looking at it being accepted into the mainstream, do you think that society or the genre or both have changed uh, in order to be, you know, for that acceptance? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I, well, for one thing, I think horror always is reflecting society, and so as society changes, horror changes. And I think one thing that has been really interesting to watch over the past few I mean really the past decade but maybe the past few decades is how technology has changed and how the way we are consuming media has changed and because we have so many streaming services because um you can you can find almost any movie you want to find now on on the internet that that has changed how we're watching horror. You know, I mentioned Blockbuster before because growing up, that was the only place I had to go to see movies. It was either the way I consumed horror was by going to Blockbuster and renting something if I thought my mom would let me or catching something on like a Saturday matinee on TV, you know, where you would have a horror host kind of show you an old 
movie from the 50s or the 60s, you know, kind of an old black and white type thing. And so I was very limited to what I could see. I would hear about things from friends, but I couldn't see them. And now you can see almost anything. And I think that's led, I think that's one of the things that's led to the acceptance of horror is that people are now watching horror movies without actually realizing that that's what they're watching. You know, people watching, you know, Ari Aster movies, for instance, you mentioned Hereditary. Uh, I, I know a lot of people who sat down and watched that movie without realizing what they were watching was actually horror and then enjoying it and going and seeking more. And then of course we have streaming services like shutter now that all they put out is horror. So I think that showing people the diversity that's in the horror genre. And I think that that's really helping mainstream audiences accept it more. No, I agree. So yeah, sort of like the availability and ease of, of access, I suppose. Um, well, that sort of bleeds into the next question. Sort of, so what do you think has had the biggest impact on the changing face of genre acceptance? Mm. I think beyond just the fact that it's more widely available, I think that we're starting to see um, a greater diversity in the stories that are being told. So, you know, we're seeing things from all all sorts of different perspectives. And I think that that is going to have probably the biggest impact is that we're seeing, yeah, just a, just a really incredible diversity in both filmmakers, but also writers. And so we're getting different types of stories that we might not have gotten before, or that might not have been able to be made before. So I think that that's really exciting. No, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, you mentioned sort of the 80s and the 90s, and you could probably name on one hand the sort of the people that were writing horror films at the, you know, in that period. Um, and they were all influenced by the sort of the 60s and the 70s. It was very much the sort of the, the same story being told over and over again with slightly different background. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, okay, so the, the next sort of section is, is representing social fears and concerns. Um and the sort of question is, does, does genre fiction act as a catharsis and a mirror for social fears? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I know personally, like, I was always attracted to horror because I am a very anxious person and I am terrified of everything in the world around me. <laughs> and so I always kind of was attracted to the catharsis that horror held because it allowed me to express what was going on in my head and, and, and these fears that I had in, in a very safe way. And even now, so we're recording this, it's um, in June of 2020, and I have been in lockdown from the pandemic. My kids have been home from school since the middle of March, and I have found it very interesting what I have been attracted to as far as like reading and watching. Um, the book that I'm rereading right now is Stephen King's The Stand, <laughs> which you would think in the middle of a pandemic that might not be the book to read, but I have found it absolutely cathartic because, you know, here I can see kind of this epic battle of good versus evil and all my worst fears playing out on the page, but then I can close the book and put it away and realize that, well, wait a minute, you know, what I'm facing right now is absolutely terrifying, 
but it still has not gotten to Stephen King levels of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and that also feels very good. <laughs> yeah, it's only the start of June, that, Lisa. Let's let's not... <laughs> I, I don't want to tempt 2020 yeah, anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting. Just, you, you, know, you say about being a catharsis and stuff, and it's always that thing of like what's going to come next. And I, I, I have had this conversation with friends as well, and I was saying sort of like, what will the media, you know, in the present, in, in you know, hard, well, when they can actually film things and write things, but novels and comics and movies, when when we're able to work our work this out of our system, um, you know, what sort of films are we going to see, especially in horror and stuff? Because you know, it's 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 been such a massive um, shift socially and and you know, and politically and everything really of late. That yeah, it, some something's got to come of this, and it will be fascinating to see how that. What comes out the other end of it? Uh, you know, I mean, just across any genre, art is one of the wonderful things that comes out of struggle. And you get to see how people are expressing themselves through their creativity. And I, I'm with you. I, I cannot wait to see um, what is going to come from this. And one of the things that I've just seen recently within the past week with the Black Lives Matter movement is we're seeing so many people amplify um, filmmakers of color and writers mm. of color and saying, hey, they're doing some really great things in horror. Let's pay attention to what they're doing. And that so far has been one just, I think, extremely cool thing that I'm with you. I can't wait to see what happens in the next six months, the next two years. It, it's going to be, I think we're witnessing a shift. Yes, definitely. Um is it, it, it one of the one of the main things like you say is going to be this diversity of, of, of you know looking at these people these artists that you know maybe were sidelined or, or overlooked in the past will hopefully get get some recognition and, and, and elevated in some way so we do get them because the same as yourself I, you know just watching online some of the things I've seen creative people sort of venting their frustration or venting their feelings about this in some creative way it's been some amazing stuff coming out so. Yeah, let's hope there's there's more of that, which actually feeds really well. I'm, these these segues are getting better and better. Representation in genre fiction. So, has genre fiction and horror been at the forefront of representation in fiction? I yes, again, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, if you just want to look at the movies. And you think about some of the movies that have shown some really great representation. I always go back to the movie Freaks from 1932, the old black and white um, horror movie, which is is a really excellent look, I think, at representation and in particular, particularly challenging the idea of ableism and how somebody can look different from kind of the mainstream norm and have different needs than kind of the mainstream norm and still and, and still be the protagonist of the story. Um, in the same way, if you look at like Night of the Living Dead in 1968, that, that black and white one, and you had the main character, uh, the actor Dwayne Jones, the way he portrayed that character, um, even like the newest Black Christmas movie, um, in which you kind of see these female characters that are forced into a very, I think, um, male idea of violence mm -hmm. uh, and, and being forced to become that that quote-unquote strong female character 
but having to use the tools of violence in order to do that and how uncomfortable that is and how damaging that is. So, uh, yeah, um, yes, horror absolutely, I think, has been at the forefront of representation and, and shining a light on on different voices. Um, you know, Jordan Peele, I think, is, is one that everybody would talk about, too. And if you look at Get Out as one of my favorite movies, but not just his... Um, not just his views on race, but the, the way he can like skewer something like white liberalism, uh, it's just, I don't know. I think it's fantastic. No, I agree. There's two films that you mentioned. I mean, freaks. I, I love freaks. I think it's, it's such a, um, a, a wonderful film. And, um, I, I do sometimes sort of, you know, struggle with it in that sense of, as you say, it's, it's about the ableism and sort of representing these sort of characters. And especially when you get the, the different couples, you know, and and um, the I'm trying to think of the best word, but the, the, you know, the, the couple, the little people sort of couple, um, but even the clown sort of in, in his partner, and he, you know, he was injured and, and damaged in the war, and, and he discusses all that, and it, it raises all these things, and you think this is in 1932, like they were talking about it then, um, right? Which is amazing. Um, uh, the, the 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 oddity of it is you sort of re- you recognise that but then they don't want to take away the horror so you get the last sort of the finale of, of those that that group the freaks as it were but they're then represented in a sort of um, as horror you know as as the horror sort of characters and it's sort of I always wonder does it roll back on what it's trying to achieve by then doing that and and then you know uh, the revenge that is taken on on um, uh, the high wire artist. Um, but yeah, no, it's a wonderful film. Yeah, it, yeah, it is, and I mean, it's it's still a film that was made in the '30s. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think that uh, you know, and that's the thing about horror too is I, I think horror as a, just generally as a genre, even though it can tackle some of these um, societal issues and, and particularly issues with representation. It, it is still going to subvert expectations and it's not going to be didactic in the way it does that. So it, it's not going to, in other words, horror is not going to fix all the problems and then wrap it up neatly and hand it to you. No. Rather, it's going to shine a light on the problems and then be like, okay, you've looked at it now. What are you going to do with it? So I, I think that's one of the, the things that I really like about the genre as a whole. No, that's a really good point. No, I like that. Um, and then again, you talk about subversion. So you know, can the question is, can genre fiction be used to subvert social norms? Um, and what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, I think. I mean, I, I think we we talked a little bit about that with the representation in films because I think I think horror at its core is a subversive genre and it's constantly trying to push the boundaries. I think especially audiences today where, where horror audiences are, are pretty well versed in the genre, you know, (laughs) they, they know their stuff. And so you can't, you can't write a horror book or make a horror movie and just be lazy in it and kind of rely on the same things that's been done over and over again. You have to, push at those boundaries and you have to maybe take it just a little bit too far so that we know where the lines are. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's kind of horror's job is to subvert the societal norms. And if it's not doing that, then it's probably not a very good horror no. piece. 
a very good point. Yeah, I mean, but do you feel that there's a sort of a fine line though between sort of subversion of social norms and then just sort of shock tactics um, to get a, a cheap scare? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, there, there are some horror movies that have left a very bad taste in my mouth um, mm. when I've watched them because I felt like I felt like it was doing just that. It, it was maybe reaching for the cheap scare or it was putting forth a message that I really didn't feel comfortable with. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just speak in kind of broad terms, but a lot of uh, exorcist movies, for instance, like possession type movies, I don't like a whole lot. Because, number one, they've been done to death, but also because usually it's it's relying on some sort of Judeo-Christian uh, belief in, like, a demon, a, a very particular type of demon. A lot of times it's a young, usually teenager, younger female character that's being possessed. And then usually it's kind of a male priest who comes in to save the day. And I don't always like that message <laughs> that it puts out there. You know, I, I don't like it when the woman is rendered helpless and a man has to come in and save her. I think horror can do better than that. So, you know, yeah, there, there are things that I won't do. And I also don't like gross out for gross out sake. Mm. Um, I, you know, I love some really, truly disgusting stuff, <laughs> but you know, I've never, for instance, watched like the human centipede because I'm just like, why, why would I want to watch that? I can't figure out the messaging behind it. And I don't know if I want, if I, if I want it, cause to me, it just feels like gore for gore's sake. Um, so, and kind of just gross out for gross out sake. And I don't like that. It feels cheap. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a couple of films like that. I haven't seen any of the, uh, the, the centipede films or, um, uh, the Serbian film and, and those sort of things. So you just think, but people, people I know that have seen it, go, oh, it's really shocking. Oh, it made me feel queasy. And I'm like, yeah, but it, you haven't said it's a good film. You've just said it made you feel ill. And that doesn't sound like a good exactly. film. I've got, yeah, <laughs> it's bizarre that people yeah. do that. Um, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Um, so it's sort of re- really sort of to round this out then, what, what introduced you to, to horror and genre fiction? Oh my goodness. Okay, so there there are really kind of two answers when I think about this. The first is my grandmother, because she used to watch me when my parents were away. And she had a bunch of like uh, a bunch of VHS tapes that were old Vincent Price movies. So like House of Wax, um, that was the one I remember watching the most because for some reason I just, as a kid, I loved that movie, but she had all these old Vincent Price movies and she would just let me watch them. So I, I have these very fond memories of, of laying on her living room floor and, and watching the Vincent Price house of wax on repeat. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure it started there. Kind of my idea of, Oh, this is, this is something I'm not supposed to be watching. Um, but I enjoyed watching it anyway. And then I was also, as a child of the eighties, I was a very big Disney fan and I'm still a big Disney fan. But when you look at what Disney was putting out in the eighties, there was like return to Oz, something wicked this way comes, uh, return to Witch mountain watcher in the woods. They're scary movies. (laughs) Like they're genuinely terrifying movies. And 
I, I ate them up. I mean, I couldn't get enough of them. So I think it's always been there. And then just from that point, you know, I, that's, that's where it started. I started sneaking Stephen King books off my dad's shelf and reading them when he wasn't paying attention, (laughs) (laughs) you know, watching the exorcist at friends' houses and not telling my parents when I got home, you know, there was just stuff like that. Uh, it was always a little bit of my kind of quiet rebellion. Um, but I don't know. I've just always loved it and I've never questioned it too much. (laughs) No, that's great. this question of, of, of all of them has been one of my favorites because I love hearing like people's like, secret origin, like how they got into this stuff. Um, and uh, I, li- I like that there's been this, a lot of people have had this sort of this individual or this character in their life that sort of, I say, has opened the door to them in some way, whether it be uh, in your case, you know, your grandmother through the VHS tapes. I'm a, I'm a big Vincent Price fan myself. Um, or you know, uh, um, I spoke to someone recently whose uncle sort of collected original pulp novels and stuff, and they, you know that was that, and it's so interesting. Um, you say about the Disney as well. I was really disappointed. We've got, we've got Disney Plus, and uh, the eighties weird because obviously from a cartoon point of view, they did the Black Cauldron as well, which is right. surprisingly dark. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they're not putting on like the darker films on Disney Plus, like say uh, something Wicked This Way Comes and and Return to Oz and. I'm a bit gutted because they're really good, and I've got a daughter who's sort of seven, and I'm sort of I'm doing the same. I'm sort of like, come have a look at this, <laughs> come, come watch this, um, and she's sort of eating some stuff up at the moment. But yeah, it's a shame that I'm there. Um, but that's really cool. No, that's I, I love hearing that. Uh, in the the final question, then, so do you think it's important to introduce children to horror and sci-fi and genre ideas? Um. I do. I think it's important to introduce kids to horror and sci-fi. I I think for one thing, children have real fears. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that because, you know, the world is scary enough as an adult. And just because you're a child doesn't mean that isn't there. It doesn't, you know, that that fear doesn't exist because, you know, I have two boys. I have um, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And they pick up on so much more than I even realize just from like hearing things on the news or, um, you know, hearing adults talk about it. I mean, absolutely now, you know, since they had their last two months of school canceled, you know, everything is like, well, we can't see our friends because of the virus or we Mm -hmm. can't, you know, we can't go to school because of the virus. And, you know, that's got to sit heavy on them, you know, and, So I think it is important for them to see, you know, age appropriate, I'll say age appropriate horror, even though I was watching probably not age appropriate (laughs) horror, but, um, you know, it's important for them because they, I think, experience the same catharsis as adults. If they can see something that is scary on, on the screen and then see it resolve and kind of have the happy ending or read something that's scary, um, and kind of see that play out. It gives them that that same catharsis that that adults have. And plus, you know, kids are just their their minds. They're so creative and they're so imaginative. And I think if you feed them things that are equally creative and imaginative, like you mentioned, sci-fi. Um, neither one of my children like horror, <laughs> and they will tell me they're like, we do not like scary things. 
Um, but you feed them sci-fi and they love it. You know, anything that has to do with robots or time travel or anything like that. And because I think it just gives them this wonderful, like, place to just let their imaginations run wild and to imagine all these kind of wonderful things. And so, yeah, I think I think it plays a really important role in that. Um, And speaking of Disney Plus, one thing that I think is on there is Flight of the Navigator. And I am just waiting for the right night to sit down with both my boys because I think that they would dig that <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a great film and um, it's, it's, it's an old one because actually it's, it's a really good fun adventure film but it also has a real and I'm thinking back to when I watched it like as a kid because I get like yourself I'm sort of I'm, I'm born in 81 so it's uh, 80s and 90s for me I remember seeing that film and, and sort of you know the, the idea of being traveling around in a spaceship with little aliens and stuff was really cool but then the idea of coming back to your family and it being like 10 years later and everyone's grown up and changed and the world's moved on and stuff. I think even then as a kid, it really sort of it bothered me, that part of the film. Um, but yeah, no, Absolutely. The, the, yeah, so there are some great films out there. And I think, and again, like I say, going back to that idea of the streaming service and the availability uh, of, of this material obviously does play into it quite heavily. Um that's excellent. Thank you very much for that. Uh, just final thought. So, yeah. Any other final thoughts or uh, other things that you'd want to mention around sort of um, horror and, and the way it's changed or developing or anything like that or representation? Hmm. Well, I, w- I will say this is just my little, it's, it's a little bit like a lecture I give people. <laughs> <laughs> but what I say is that, you know, because when I tell people what, what I write and what I write about and they say, oh my gosh, why would you spend your time thinking about such horrible things? And I tell them, you know, that horror is maybe less of a genre and more of an emotion. And it's just as much of an emotion as any other thing that we, you know, anger, rage, (laughs) you know, happiness, laughter, anything like that. We all feel fears. We all fear feel revulsion or horror just to it's a reaction to things and so if somebody tells me that they don't like horror I just say well you probably haven't found the right horror yet but you'll find what works for you because you don't have to like all of it but there's probably something you do like and you're just not willing to call it horror um and then and then the other thing I'll I'll, uh say about that is if you are a horror fan just to make sure that you're doing your your duty to go out there and watch and read wi- uh, widely, you know. So I, I love the big names, you know. I, I love Stephen King. I love, um, I love, you know. You mentioned like Ari Aster. I I, I will happily see every movie he makes. Um, but you know, try to move beyond the big names and, and find what else is out there because there's a lot of good stuff being created right now. And so, challenge yourself to read some horror by women, or maybe you know, watch uh, horror movies that were written by people of color. And um, yeah, just just there's a whole world out there, mm-hmm. and, and we have it literally at our fingertips. So go out there and enjoy it widely. <laughs> no, I think it's a great message. I think you're right as well. It's uh... Don't you know why keep reading the same, the same perspective and the same story when there's so much more you can sort of 
delve into it. And that's it, it's at your fingertips now. It's there, so no excuses. Um, right. Lisa, that's been fantastic. Thank you very, very much for, for giving your time and for answering those questions. I really appreciate it. Um, anything you've got coming up or anything you sort of want to mention or give a, a pop to um, that I can put in the notes uh, for the for the show? Uh, sure. Well, I'm always um, promoting the book Monster She Wrote, and uh, we recently started a podcast called Monster She Wrote, uh, the Monster She Wrote podcast. So we've got that out there, and I'm also on uh, the No Fear cast. Uh, it's kind of an academic look at the horror genre, so it's No Fear, like K N O W, a little pun, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think those would be the things, the podcast and the book and uh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I'll find those. I'll put a link in for those as well when I do the show. Um, Thanks so much. No, brilliant. Thank you for, for, for the time as well. So I really appreciate that. Well, 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 there we have the uh, another cracking interview. I've really enjoyed doing these, uh, but there are some more. Uh, but I don't want to take up the rest of the year, so I am going to be doing something special this is coming out on uh, wednesday the 2nd of december uh, and it's my birthday in a couple of days my birthday on the 4th of december and i'm going to be <coughs> 39 years old but you know it's my birthday week so let's do a bit of a celebration i'm going to be packing out another episode coming out on friday with the final two interviews um and uh, i can't remember the names now but i'm going to put that together and that will be coming out on friday evening so in this week you get two episodes and uh, then we're going to be getting into our christmas countdown and we're going to be doing some other things uh, one of the things is that the patreon choice for this quarter has been uh, chosen and i am going to be doing my top five alternative christmas movies uh, some doozies in there we will also be having the debate on that show probably of is die hard a christmas movie i'm not giving any spoilers on that one so if you want to come and talk to me about any of these interviews or you want to talk about your alternative uh, Christmas movies that you love, you can come and find me on uh, Twitter at Scott Weatherly if you want to find me in person or at 20th Century Geek uh, and also at 20th Century Geek on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, come say hello. I always like it when you guys do. Uh, and if you really enjoy what we're doing and uh, you can find it in your hearts to uh, support the show, uh, we do have a Patreon page. And on that Patreon page, we do a monthly podcast called 30 Minute Thoughts, where I put out a choice for my patrons. They choose it and I give my thoughts on it for 30 minutes uh, in different ways. Then we have a quarterly interview, which is called uh, Quarterly Creator Corner. And uh, I interview a creator about a something that they have been somewhat specific that they have been creating the last one we had was kieran gillen talking about once and future uh, a really cool comic that he's got out, got coming out with boom at the moment um go check it out otherwise stay safe and uh, i'll speak to you soon